Well, welcome. Good morning. Great to see you. Thank you for braving the snow and coming out and uh, hanging with us this morning. Uh, I love Baptism Sunday. One of my favorite days of the year, getting to watch people take that step of going public with their faith, especially a young man like Elijah. That's super encouraging. Those of you guys who work down in LifePoint Kids, you know what a blessing that young man is in such a joyful, exuberant, uh, just innocent faith that he has. And so exciting uh, for him and his family. Uh, Want to say that if you are a guest and you're here for the first time, my name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor here at this campus. So welcome. One thing I would encourage you to do is to take out your phone and turn on the camera and put it on the QR code on a chair in front of you, um, or type in lpguest.com. That'll take you to a landing page that is our online connect card. So all the information you wanna know about LifePoint, you can find on that page. Uh, there's uh, information of upcoming events. There are sermon notes that are interactive. So if you can take little notes yourself, you can email them to yourself so you have a record of what God may be speaking to you about today. Uh, there's also the guest information button. If you click that uh, and fill out a little bit of information, scroll down, there are five different ministries you'll see there. If you choose one of those, just check the box. We'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry that we already support, but we'll do that in honor just to say thanks for checking in with us, and you can connect with all the guests at our campuses today to make a dent and uh, do something really good. Uh, so also, if you've been coming, and you know in this series we've been asking that everyone read through First Thessalonians, and now we've been pointing you to the Drivecast. If you haven't downloaded the app, go to your app store, your search engine, and, and type in LifePoint Ohio. That's the big deal, LifePoint Ohio. And there's a little blue logo, the Starburst. Download that one to your phone every day this week, Monday through Saturday. Typically, it's just Monday through Friday. There are five teaching pastors, five days of the week. It's a five-minute devotional uh, help to help you kind of connect with God. This time... This season for this series, we're doing Monday through Saturday, and we are going to do all the way through 1 Thessalonians, and there's actually a notes button at the bottom that'll help guide you through some prayer things. Just a great way to create a habit, not a resolution, but a rhythm in your life where you're starting to connect to the Word of God in prayer. So that I would totally recommend. That's it. I was prepping for this message, and it got me thinking about some childhood heartache that I had in my life. Um, if you've been around, you've heard me say before that my dad was from Boston, Massachusetts. He grew up in Boston, and he was a huge Red Sox fan, and so he passed on his love of baseball to me. I became a Red Sox fan, and here's the deal. All my childhood, the Red Sox broke my heart. Uh, so if you are a Browns fan in this room, I feel you. That was my life. And every year, the, the thing is, the Red Sox were good. They, they would win and they would, you know, they, they even went to the World Series twice in my lifetime, but both times they got beat. When I was eight years old, that's when I became a fan. The Red Sox had the best team in baseball, but they tied the Yankees on the last game of the season. They had a one-game playoff, and this guy who never hit anything hit a home run. His name was Bucky Dent. He hit this home run against the Red Sox, crushed my childhood dreams. Then I'm, in, I'm like 16 years old. The, the Red Sox go to the World Series. They're up against the Mets. They're about to win, and the ball goes between Bill Buckner's legs. If you're a fan of baseball, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a nerd like I am, you know the heartache. Anyway, so here's the problem. The Yankees are the arch nemesis of the Red Sox. And because the Yankees are better, I'm, I can admit that, they have more World Series titles than any team in baseball. Typically, they would crush the Red Sox somehow. In 2003, everything I thought was gonna change. The Red Sox had a great team. They had the best pitcher in baseball, Pedro Martinez, and they were winning, and they ended up in a, you know, a playoff, the American League Championship Series against the Yankees, and I thought they were gonna win. Game seven, winner goes to the World Series. They're up. The Yankees come back and tie it. It goes into extra innings, and sure enough, late into the night, some guy named Aaron Boone for the Yankees, 
hits a home run and they go on to the World Series and I am heartbroken again as now a 33-year-old man, thinking this is what life is always gonna be. Well, the next year, they went out and got a pitcher named Kurt Schilling, uh, who's one of the best pitchers in baseball. So now they have two really good pitchers. The team is great. They're, they're just killing all year long. The, the Yankees are killing it too. And sure enough, it's a repeat. They end up in the American League Championship Series. The winner goes to the World Series. And I'm thinking, this is gonna be the year. There's a writer named Dan Shaughnessy who's famous in Boston who wrote a book called The Curse of the Bambino, which is on how you know the, the Red Sox sold Babe Ruth and they're cursed because of it and that's why the Yankees are good. Well, Dan Shaughnessy was kind of following along and writing stories, but here's what happened. The first three games of the series, the Yankees literally destroyed the Red Sox. In fact, one of the games was such a blowout, it was historic. And now they're down 3-0. And let me tell you what's never happened in the history of Major League Baseball. No team has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit to win a playoff. Never, never been done. And I'm like, why even watch now? I mean, they're just gonna break my heart again and again and again. Well, that guy, Dan Shaughnessy, wrote a paper, I wrote an article in the paper for that morning and called the Red Sox frauds. Like he called his hometown team a bunch of frauds. Well, he goes to the stadium and there's one guy at the stadium, one player who who stood up to him. This player's name was Kevin Millar. Now, you've never heard of Kevin Millar unless you're a baseball nerd like me, and here's why, because he wasn't that good. He was completely average, never really did anything to stand out. He was just an average ball player, but he believed that they could win. So he finds Dan Shaughnessy and has this conversation with him. This is on camera. He said this, don't let us win tonight. This is a big game. They've got to win because if we win, we got Pedro coming back today. We got Sen Schilling pitch game six. And then you can take that fraud stuff and put it to bed. Don't let the Sox win this game. Now, if you watched ESPN does these 30 for 30 series documentaries, well, they did, a, they did a documentary on this particular series called Four Days in October. And they took the camera and they put it on Kevin Millar and they showed how he went from player to player to player saying the same thing. Oh, if we win tonight... We win in game four, then we could win game five because Pedro's coming back to pitch. Then game six is shilling. Anything can happen in game seven. And it was almost like he was trying to convince everyone on the team. He was going up to player after player and he just kept running his mouth and he was making people believe. And you know what happened? Game four, they're, they're down by one run, ninth inning, and the Yankees have the best relief pitcher in the history of baseball, Mariano Rivera, pitching. And Millar goes up and he draws a walk. He gets to first, they put in a pinch runner, a really fast guy, Dave Roberts, he steals second, they get a single, he scores, they tie the game in extra innings, they come back, they win the game, and Pedro came back, one game, five, Schilling came back, game six, game seven, they blew out the Yankees. They, they literally did something that's never been done in the history of Major League Baseball, one guy believed it. His faith almost convinced everyone else, and they just believed. Isn't that incredible? Now, I bring it up, because we're in this series we're calling Not Without Hope. And in this series, we're looking at how Jesus is the source of enduring hope. And I have noticed in my lifetime, I'm sure you have, that in the kingdom of God, people who seem to make the biggest difference have an incredible faith. They just seem to believe when no one else believes around them. They believe in God. They believe in what Christ is doing and they make an impact. And this is the thing. You cannot separate faith from hope. It's impossible. If you really want to know the enduring hope of Jesus Christ, you gotta have faith. So then the question you have to ask yourself is, for all of us in the room, well, how do I get a faith like that so that I can know the enduring hope of Christ? And maybe you came in and you're like, I don't, I don't really know because I have doubts, I have struggles. I remember back in my journey of faith, I remember back to the beginning where I was just happy that God liked me. <laughs> like, I didn't have a lot of faith except please God, like, Please help me. Please forgive me. That was my faith at one point in time. I didn't understand anything else he was doing in my life. 
Just please help me. And now I'm on this side of my journey of Christ where I'm learning all that God is trying to do in and around me. And you know what I need? I still need faith. So it doesn't matter where you're at in the journey, you need faith to continue to move on, to connect to God and to allow him to do in and through your life what he's trying to do. So the question we should be asking ourselves is this, how do I get more faith? Because maybe you came in and you're like, you know what, I've, I've got some doubts in my life. I've got some struggles, I've got some anxiety, I've got issues, and I want to believe, I wanna have faith. If I just had more faith, maybe then, if you're saying that, then here's the question, how do we get more faith? This is what I'm gonna talk about today. If you have a Bible, go to 1 Thessalonians 3. I'm gonna share a couple of things and share some scriptures with you, um, and my hope is that, that God will teach us something, but let's just invite him in, all of us. Let's take one second and just pray, God, will you speak to me through this, all right? Let's pray. Father, we're all here at a different place in our journey with you, and it's so individual to us, God, but you know right where we're at. And I pray, Lord, you would use this word of God by your Holy Spirit, speak to us about faith. And we ask that in your son's name, amen, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, go to that First Thessalonians 3. You can follow along, uh, and the scriptures are gonna be on the screen. The first thing I wanna share with you is this. If we're, gonna, if we're gonna have more faith, we need to know that our faith needs a firm foundation. Our faith needs a firm foundation. Now remember, Paul had a vision to go to Macedonia and he wanted to go there to share the gospel. Macedonia is modern day Greece. He goes to Philippi first and it didn't go well. He did go there and help some believers become followers of Christ, but then he got attacked. He was stripped and beaten and put in jail and like it was crazy. He, they ended up going out of town and he has no idea that when he gets to Thessalonica if that's gonna happen again. He goes to Thessalonica and he just, over the course of three weeks, he meets a few people and starts sharing the word with them. A few Jewish people become believers and many Greek people become believers. And now you have a brand new little church over the course of three weeks in Thessalonica. Well, a riot breaks out and people are trying to kill Paul. So the, the, the new believers kind of usher him and his team out of town, get out of here. And he's been like just sick over the idea of what's happening in Thessalonica. He's in Athens now and he's wondering and hoping. And this letter, 1 Thessalonians, is really a response to what he found out. Here's where it starts in chapter three. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. So he's telling them, Look, when I was with you, I told you that we're gonna suffer affliction. And now you see this. And his concern, his great uh, just kind of fear even is he wants to know that are these believers holding strong? Do they, they still have faith? So they send Timothy and Timothy has two things he's supposed to do. The first one is this. He's to establish and also to exhort them in their faith. Why? Because he doesn't want the affliction to ruin them. So what does that mean to establish? Let's start with that one. To establish faith, think of it as like to set something. Now maybe some of you guys are builders and you know about building buildings. I have no idea, but I've read enough to know this, that if your foundation is strong, then you can build on it pretty well. If you don't have a solid foundation, then when you start building it, it's not gonna be a problem at first, but the larger and the bigger you build this thing on a bad foundation, it's gonna lean or possibly worse. So if a bad foundation Bad building, good foundation, good building. What he's saying is you need to have set foundation of your faith that's strong so when God builds upon that, it's going to last and be strong. 
So he's saying, I need him to come and set the foundation. Well, what's the foundation of your faith? Well, this is what he's been talking about over the last couple weeks in these chapters. He says that in verse two, we send God's worker, Timothy, in, what is he a co-worker in? The gospel of Christ. The foundation of your faith is the gospel. That's the foundation. That is the baseline with which faith builds is to understand the gospel. I've been explaining the gospel in different ways to you the last couple weeks, and I'm gonna share it with you a completely different way today. So I want you to think of it like this, and maybe you've heard this before. Think of it as like two different mountains. And on one mountain, there's God, and on another mountain, mankind. So all of us are on a different mountain. And there's a valley between that's so deep and so wide, there's no way to get from this mountain to this mountain. Here's the reason why that's the case. It's because God is absolutely holy and perfect and blameless, and he does not tolerate sin at all. In fact, it offends him. But because he's holy and perfect and eternal, he can't take sinful beings into his kingdom eternally because that would bring sin into the kingdom eternally. He's not gonna do that. So we're here and we're separated and we feel it. Everyone understands the brokenness that sin has corrupted in their hearts and in our world. We get that. So here's what we do. We try to become religious. We try to do behaviors to kind of jump across the bridge, you know, or jump across that chasm or that valley. We're trying to jump. And whether it's, you know, you go to church or you start reading your Bible or you be a good person or you start giving money away or you help, you know, orphans and widows or like all good things, great things. But here's what the Bible says. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God meaning they don't make it, they fall short. And it says, for the wages of sin is death. That means you are separated from God eternally. That's the problem and that's the bad news. The word gospel means good news. So we recognize the bad news. The good news is this, God absolutely loves us. He absolutely wants a relationship with us. And so what he does is he sends his son down to be a man. So he's fully man, which means he could be tempted just like you and I. He understands the temptation that you and I face. The difference is he's also fully God. And because he's fully God, he can't sin. So he actually lives the life that we can't do, which makes him the perfect sacrifice for sin. So what does he do? He builds the bridge between the two mountains with the cross. You see, he took on our death that he didn't deserve so that we could accept his life. We could get his righteousness. Righteousness means right standing with God. So that's the bridge he makes, but it's not enough just to acknowledge and say, well, that's true. We actually have to walk across the bridge of faith by receiving Christ, receiving his gift of sacrifice, of, of, of atonement of sin. His, his payment on the cross becomes the way that we can be made right with the Father. We can walk across by saying yes to Jesus. I wanna follow you, Jesus. I, I receive you, your gift of grace and mercy in my life. That's how you walk across by taking a step of faith. That's what he requires, not your great works and religion and, and behaviors and all that. That's, that's not a bad thing, but it's by faith we walk across. That's the gospel. That's the foundation. And maybe you're sitting here like, Ed, I've heard you say this now for three weeks in three different ways. I get it. I don't need to hear it. Maybe you heard the gospel way back in your journey. Like, I get it. You need to hear it again and again and again. Here's why. Because it's the foundation for everything he's trying to do in your life. For example, when you're in relationship with someone else, sometimes you have conflict. Has that ever happened to you? Happens to me. Maybe you. We, some of us have had conflict, right? But here's what God does. I can't condemn someone else. Do you know why? Because honestly, I deserve to be condemned. So if God gave me grace and mercy, if God forgave my sin, then how can I hold it against someone else? So I lay down my life 
in relationship to someone else. Why do I see people who do dumb things? You ever have, maybe, maybe you see people who do dumb things, whether you're driving in front of you, they cut you off, whatever it is, you know people who do things, and you think, how dare that person? And we devalue them. But you know what? God loves them so much, he would die for them. And that means because of the gospel, I should love them too. They are equally as valuable as anyone who I love dearly. That's how valuable they are to my king. Do you see how the gospel impacts everything? Forgiveness, care for others, loving other people, even forgiving myself. Like I need the gospel in every area of my life. That's the foundation for my whole life. You need a solid foundation. And he was sending Paul to make sure that foundation was solid and set. But he also wanted to exhort these people. That's, think of that as like encouragement. He wants them to know, here's how you follow Christ. Here's how you cling to him in the midst of affliction. Can I tell you something? When you're reading this, you gotta ask yourself, all right, God, why don't you just stop the affliction? Because he could do that, right? Like, God can do anything. If he can, you know, walk on water, if he can make a storm, you know, stop, if he can raise from the dead, God can do anything. He could look at all the affliction in the world and go, done. Why doesn't he do that? He actually allows it. He's telling them, look, I allowed it. Here's the thing. Affliction actually exposes the cracks in your foundation. When affliction comes on, you have no choice but to actually lean into God. And if the foundation is solid, here's what happens. You lean into God in faith and trust in him, even in the midst of affliction, and he meets you in that affliction and your faith actually grows. But it also can expose kind of the weak parts of our foundation. And sometimes we turn away from God in the midst of affliction and our faith dies. You see, affliction actually exposes our faith to us and we need to know we need to know what our faith is made of. It's the only way to live life is to know what our faith is. He allows it. Let me ask you do, you, have, do you have cracks in the foundation of your faith? Are you leaning on God? Are you struggling? I just wanna ask the question, let you think about that for a second. And let me tell you, I have a couple people in my life who I think are good examples. They represent lots of people, but I'm gonna use these two just to kind of give you an example of two extremes. They both heard the same information about the gospel and they both accepted it like, yes, I want, I want to receive forgiveness for my sins. I want to go to heaven when I die. I believe in Jesus. They both accepted it the same way. But one guy, he kind of had a different take on it. In his mind, basically, yes, of course I want to receive forgiveness because I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to have to pay for my sins. And if God's doing it, it's great. God must want me to have a great life. The problem was when affliction came his way and God didn't take it away, he just assumed, well, God must have peaced out on me. Because if God's not taken away, God must not be there. And he, his faith just went. This other person, this, this girl in my life who I've known, like she knew the same message. Affliction hit her in the form of cancer. And she got a terrible diagnosis. And she, instead of going that route, she actually leaned into her faith. She actually said her faith grew while the affliction was at its worst in her life. And I, I watched that happen. I kept thinking, I kept watching going, wow. Like she actually told me at one point, I can't say that I wish God didn't bring cancer in my life because of what it's brought in our relationship. I mean, isn't it something that we watch people really go in one of two directions and we look in the mirror and we, when affliction hits us, we go in one of two directions too. We need that foundation to be solid and here's the thing, we need to recognize that there's a threat to our faith. We need to recognize what that is, recognize the threat that's happening to our faith. Here's what, what Paul writes, verse five. For this reason, we could bear it no longer. 
I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So here's a guy, Paul, who actually has fear. So if you're in the room and you ever actually experience fear, like, God, what are you doing? How are you allowing this? God, I wish I knew what you were doing. I wish I knew the future. I wish I knew what you were gonna, like, if you ever feel that, understand Paul has felt that too because he's looking at his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica and he has fear that somehow that they're gonna lose it. Their faith is gonna be gone. So what is he afraid of? that the tempter would have tempted them and all of his work would have been in vain and they would have lost their faith. So here's what you need to know. There actually is a threat to your faith. There actually is a tempter. There actually is an enemy of God who's actively trying to pursue you and steal your faith. Did you know that? So the question then is, how is he gonna do that? Well, you don't have to worry about how because Jesus actually explained it And here's where he did it. Jesus taught a bunch of parables. These are, think of like metaphors or heavenly stories to explain a spiritual reality that's happening in our lives. And so he did that in a parable uh, in Matthew chapter 13, verse three. Here's what it says. And he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Our seed or other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So you're like, okay, so that's what it means to be attacked. Thanks for the parable. (laughs) I get it now. All right, well, here's the thing. Jesus actually explained this parable. So it's to our benefit to turn to verse 18 and here's how he explains the parable. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what is sown on the rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what is sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, another 60, and another 30. So think of when he says the seeds, that's the truth or the word of God. The truth of the gospel, the seed comes down, you hear it, and your soil is like your heart. So some people's hearts are hardened towards God. And so when we hear the truth, you hear that, those people say, no, I'm out. I'm not listening to that. They literally tune it out. That's as if it never takes any root at all. So the birds come by and eat it and it's gone. That's what the enemy does. He takes it. Well, the other three soils all hear it and something starts to happen in them. In fact, at the beginning, the growth would look exactly the same. But because their foundation or their heart was wrong, that it just It doesn't work for all of them. Only one of them grows and it produces 100, 60, 30. That's what God wants for our life, that our faith, that as we enter into faith, God would do something in us, that other people would would find haven in that. We'd experience what God's doing in and through us in such a way that it actually builds us and grows us. That's what he wants for us. So what happened to the other two soils that looked the same at the beginning? Well, one of them faced affliction. And they... They left. I said, no, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not in. I didn't sign up for affliction. I'm out. That's what happened to one of them. The enemy brings affliction. And sometimes life just brings affliction. And people just turn away. That happens to some people. 
And this one, the next one, I think is the way that the enemy is gonna attack us most readily and most likely in our culture. It says, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes out the word of God. Here's what that means, because it's so subtle, right? Uh, we, we don't think of it very often when it's happening, but we get so caught up in the things of this world and, and our, our endeavors and our accomplishments and our, our 401ks and our opportunities that were given to us and, and how we provide and how we can build things. We get so caught up in those that the word of God just takes less and less importance in our life to the point where we start focusing more on this than anything God might want. And subtly, the enemy just takes the faith from us as we're so focused on anything but God. That's one of the ways that the enemy tries to snatch away the word of God. Don't you see that there's actually a real tempter and he's trying to take away our faith? I'm gonna ask you, do you can you discern an area in your life where the enemy is trying to take your faith? Trying to make you doubt, trying to make you question are there areas of life you've been so focused on? So, you know, and some of these things are good. Like I, of course, wanna provide and wanna protect and offer opportunities to my kids. Like some things that just seem so right and good, but it gets to a point where we stop focusing on God and even depending on him and we focus on these things. Is that where it's hitting you? I would encourage you to create a rhythm in your life of allowing the word of God and prayer to be a part of your life. It helps. Uh, that's why we did the drive cast the way we did this term, because we're helping you create a pattern, not a, not a resolution that sometimes you break, but a pattern in your life where it becomes a habit, where you take in the word of God, you take in some prayer, you, you talk to the Father and he speaks to you. That becomes a pattern in your life. It helps combat the affliction and the enemy as the truth starts to take hold of you. And here's the thing, and this is the last point I wanna make, is that God uses our faith to encourage others. He has a purpose for us. This, this last couple of verses I wanna share. Verse six, it says this. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. I want you to let that sink in for a second. Here's what Paul is saying. We couldn't take it. It was killing us. We're over here, you know, in Athens now. And, you know, our team is like, we should move forward. Like, we can't move forward. We can't keep going. We have to know what happens to the people. What about the people in Thessalonica? What's happening with them? Are they getting destroyed? Is their faith getting taken away? Are they getting rooted out? What's happening? We can't live. He's full of anxiety. He is afraid. And you know what he needs? Encouragement. He says, now that we have seen your faith, now we live. We have been comforted by your faith that you're standing fast. Now look, you read this and you might go right past it, but I want you to think about something. I get that we all need encouragement. Like everyone in this room, you are, you know, you're trying to walk this journey of faith and things happen, you come up against things and you want some encouragement, right? Like you wanna know that, okay, I, I need to keep going. I need to keep trusting in God. He's got a plan. I, I wanna lean in. You need encouragement. I need encouragement. Like I need encouragement. And this is what I do for a living. I've been trying to fight to help other people know Jesus for a long time. I need encouragement. I never knew discouragement until I became a pastor. Now look, the Red Sox were terrible my whole childhood. I get, I get discouragement. Like if you're a Browns fan in the room, I feel you. But I wanna say this, that's really nothing. I've, I've been through life like you have. I've had to say goodbye to people I love. I've had heartaches and people, you know, turn against me. I'm like, I've, I've experienced 
painful things. I've been discouraged, but I've never felt discouragement like I felt when I see a believer get crushed and walk away from Jesus. I've never felt anything like that. That is real discouragement. And you know what I need? I need encouragement. I need encouragement from brothers and sisters who walk and follow Jesus. I need that in my own soul to keep going sometimes. Do you know who else needed that? Paul. Like, why Paul? Of anybody who's ever lived, why would Paul need encouragement? Because we all do. And here's the thing. There's a step in our journey of faith. And, and I said this last week, and I, I want it to sink in, that in our journey of faith, there comes a step when we realize it's not just about us. It's not just my experience in God. Like, I'm, I hear the truth and I realize, wow, God really does love me, okay? And then, then I, I look at my life and the closer I get to God, I realize, man, I have kind of done some things that he's not gonna like. And then I start feeling like I don't deserve this. And then I hear about the gospel of grace and how he loves me in spite of myself. And I'm like, yes, I want that. And then you receive that and then you, you pray and you say, Jesus, come into my life. And you start experiencing the word and the Holy Spirit starts doing stuff in you. And you're like, I've never felt this kind of love. I have joy even when life is tough. I, want, I have self-control I've never had. I'm, I'm starting to care about people and I have this like peace I've never experienced. Like you start to feel that in your life and it all experiences in you, but there's a part of the journey where you realize whatever you're experiencing isn't just for you. It's for other people too. That's the way God works. In fact, the gospel becomes so rooted in us that that's how we look at other people now, that my faith, it can encourage others. And that matters. Why? Because these people matter to God. In fact, as the gospel starts to take root in you, we realize, and maybe you've read this, that, that we even get to the point where we laugh with those who laugh in relationship to each other and we mourn with those who mourn. And is there nothing more healing to your soul than when you're struggling, you're going through it, and there's someone else with you who has gone through it too, who understands what it means to hang on to faith in the midst of that? Is there nothing better than that moment when they get you? That's what God wants to do in all of us. He wants to use our faith so that others would be encouraged. And we need that. Wherever you're at in your faith journey, Know that it's not abnormal to feel that tension of the affliction that comes at you. Sometimes we think affliction is, well, I don't wanna just share my faith with someone because like, then they're, gonna, you know, they're not gonna like me anymore and we think that's really affliction. But the truth is the affliction is the tension you feel before you ever even say anything because the enemy is trying to, trying to wear on you so that you won't say anything, you won't, you won't invite someone. And in a lot of ways, that's a great step that people take in their faith is learning to invite others and talk to them about Jesus and, and invite them into their homes, invite them to life groups. There, there's a step of faith, it's baptism. Look, we had, we had a few people get baptized today and I know this, every person who gets baptized has a personal struggle with the Lord because the, the step of baptism is one of obedience and uh, we just don't wanna be obedient in our heart. We wanna do things our own way and we hear that like, some people are like, all right, let's do it. Most people, they struggle with it. But today I got to watch people who have struggled with it uh, early in our first service, who, who've said, you know what? I'm surrendering to Jesus. They took a step of faith. That's a step that people take, and it's encouraging. Watching people step up and become leaders and serve uh, on a team or in, down in, in kids or maybe, uh, you know, learning to give. Like, when people take steps of faith, it's encouraging to others. I, uh, I think we have to come to that point where our steps of faith it's not just about us. We have to embrace it because it matters to others as well. And God's trying to use that. I, I was thinking about a story in my life of someone who really encouraged me recently. Um, I have a men's group that I'm part of, a life group. And uh, it's on Friday mornings. And um, you know, every week we get together and we, we study the word together. We only have a short amount of time. So it's hard because it's, it's fast. Uh, but, but 
love being with my guys. And there's a guy who's been coming for a long time. I got to know him and his name is Jim. And he started growing his faith uh, just over the last several years. I've been watching him grow. So faithful to, to the Lord and to the word. But he knows he's around some guys in the group that are ahead of him, let's say in knowledge. Uh, but he's just growing from that. And one day I said to him, I said, Jim, could you help me out? He's like, yeah, man, anything. I said, Jim, I need you to lead group for me one time. He's like, me, why would you pick me? <laughs> like, there are other smart people in the room. Why are you picking me? I'm like, Jim, you're faithful and I think it's a great step for you. He's like, okay, I'll do it. So I gave him this passage, I assigned it to him and man, he studied. I mean, he studied, he dug in. Like he did not want to like let us down. Like he, he didn't want to let the Lord down. He just, he got into it. So on that morning when he led the first time, like he knows he's around some guys who know the word, but he didn't care. He's like, let me tell you what this says. Do you know what this says? Hey, what about this? What do you guys think of this? And he just dug into the word and led. And I'm watching the whole time going, Look at Jim go, man, he's in, he's dug in. So at the end of it, he looks at me and goes, Ed, thank you so much for asking me to lead. I'm like, thank you, you're helping me out. He goes like, no, 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 man, you, you made me, you forced me to dig into the word and it's doing so much in me. I'm sitting back going, ah, that's my guy. Like, that's my guy, right? Well, he, he texted me a couple weeks ago. I said, hey man, God is doing something in me. I, I, I gotta tell you about this story. I need you to pray. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, well, he had his truck, had some issues with it. He had to go in and get some new tires or whatever. And he goes to the place and he's there and he's in you know, the like, little uh, place where you've got the guy across the, the counter and you're ordering the tires from him. And he strikes up a conversation with the guy and the guy starts talking about how he's, a, he's got five kids. So Jim, like, he's like, you know what? I should, I should say something. He said to him, he said it was almost superficial the way to bring up God, but he goes, hey, look, I'm 53 years old. If I can give you any advice at all as a dad who's been raising kids, get your family in church, it helps. That's all he said. Well, then it brought on a conversation where this guy across the table starts talking about faith and, and Jim starts to talk about Jesus and it's going on and on. And, and, and the, he says to him, you should get your family in church. And he goes, well, I work every Sunday. So Jim said, well, you should go to a life group. Get involved in a Bible study, get involved. He's, trying, he's like telling him, this is a great way to connect to the word and with other people. He's telling him all this stuff. And this customer comes in. And of course, Jim, like he backed off because you know you gotta let him do business. That's what he's there for. The customer comes in and it seems like they know each other. They're like talking for a second and he's got some business he's gotta do and something, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But they seem to know each other. The guy leaves. The guy looks back at Jim with his eyes big as silver dollars. He goes, you're not gonna believe this. The last two years, that guy's been inviting me to his Bible study. Jim texted, what are the odds of that, Ed? How is that possible that I am a random stranger talking to this guy and God had already been working on this guy for two years and that guy walks in? What are the odds? Like, I don't know, Jim. <laughs> I have no idea. That encourages my soul and I need it. I need to watch people walk in their faith. I need to watch people take their steps. And look, that's you. Your friends and family, your neighbors need to see that. Your people in the room need to see that as you take steps. And here's the thing. You're sitting here like, Ed, I want to do that. I want to have faith. I want to take steps. Where, how do I get more faith? How do I get more? Like, I want to take steps. How do I get more faith? Can I tell you something? I'm going to give you the answer right now. You ready? You don't need more faith. You actually don't need more faith. In fact, here's what Jesus said. If you had the faith of a mustard seed, that's super, super tiny. So if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you connect that to who God is, your little bitty faith with God moves mountains. Because nothing is impossible with God if you simply trust in him in the midst of anything. You don't need more faith. You just need to take a step with the faith that you have. That's it. So here's my question to you. Maybe when you came in today, there's a thing, there's a, a situation, there's a, something in your heart that you know God has been nagging at you about and you've been putting it off and you've been rationalizing and you've been busy and, or you've been like, well, I'll get around to that someday. 
Now's the day. You just say, okay, I'm gonna take a step with that. Whatever faith you have, just simply take a step in that. That's it. Maybe you came in today and you're like, I don't know my step. Then your step today would be to actually say to God, God, will you speak to me? Will you tell me the step and help me embrace that? I'm available, God, I'm listening. Or maybe you came in today and you would say, I don't know that I've ever crossed that bridge. I knew about the bridge. I've even believed in the bridge. I've been around church, but you've never actually walked across the bridge of faith. This is what that looks like for you. In faith, in faith, little mustard seed, tiny faith, you say, okay, I believe in Jesus. <sighs> Jesus, I'm gonna turn to you. I'm gonna ask you for forgiveness and I wanna walk across the bridge. Will you, will you guide me? That's your step today. Wherever your step is, I wanna help you take a step. So let's stand together um, and we're gonna sing a last song and Mark has a really cool announcement for us. And I love this song because we did not plan this out, but it is literally the whole sermon in a song. Um, it's almost like God is our boss and just directing our hearts. But as we get ready to sing, maybe if you need some prayer, maybe as I've been talking, there's something going on in your heart and you would like to have someone pray for you. Let their faith start to influence you with some prayer. Just go back to the next steps area. It's in my back left. Just as we start singing, just get up and walk over there and just let someone pray with you. It'll be good for them. It'll be good for you. But for everyone else, I'm gonna ask you to kind of close your eyes and bow your head and talk to God. If there's something specific that God's put on your heart, just say, God, I hear you clearly. Help me to respond in faith this week. Help me respond. Will you, will you meet me there? Just tell him. If you would say when you came in today, and even as I've been talking, there's not something specific, just say to God, God, help me to hear you. Help me to know what you're saying so that I will follow you. Just tell him that. And if, you would, if you've come in today and you say, I don't know that I've ever crossed the bridge, I can't say for sure that I've actually received the grace and mercy of Christ. Know that that is the good news. This is what he wants. And your requirement is simply to take a step of faith. Here's how you do that. I'll lead you. Just say to God right now, God in heaven, I believe in you. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross to pay the penalty for sin. I believe that. And I believe he rose from the grave. Tell God that. Just in your heart, from you to him right now, tell him. The Bible also says that anyone who calls on Jesus shall be saved. Here's how you do that. You say to Jesus right now, Jesus, I believe in you and I'm calling on you now. Will you please forgive me of my sin? I'm sorry. I know I've done things and I am sorry. Would you please forgive me? And say, Jesus, will you lead my life? I'm turning to you. Would you come into my life and lead me? Take my little faith. Take this little step right now. You need to know that step is all that he requires, is faith, to believe, to trust in him, to turn to him. That step of faith makes you right, and that's what he wants for you, to be part of his righteousness. What it means to follow Christ is that as you hear his voice, as you see that he's leading you, you just follow him. I wanna give you a step today that you can take. If you just prayed that prayer, the Bible says that anyone who acknowledges Jesus, he said that, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before the angels of God in heaven. If you just prayed that prayer, I want you to acknowledge that between you and me and the Father. Simple way to do it. I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand up and say, Ed, I want you to see, I'm praying so I wanna acknowledge between you and me and the Father. If that's you and you just prayed that prayer today, you wanna receive Christ, just raise your hand up. Say, today is my day. High enough I can see it anywhere in the room. 
God, I believe that you have a purpose for all of us in this room. You know where we're at in our journey. God, you know the people in the room who are struggling, who are hurting. And God, I pray you would meet them in their hurt and show them your mercy and your grace and your peace. God, I pray that even in their tears, in their struggles, God, I pray that you would show yourself to be merciful and present with that. God, I pray for most of us in this room that, you know, we get caught up. We get so caught up in all the things that we're doing. We, we miss out on the things you're trying to do. God, I pray you would meet us in that and draw us close and help us to take steps of faith even this week. And God, for those who, who wanna know you, who are just struggling with that, I pray, Lord, you show yourself to be worthy. In all these things, God, grow us. It's in your precious name we pray.